Wow, I'm so excited、um, to share with you guys today. This is my favorite Bible story of all time.、Um, when the staff gathers and prays and really seeks the Lord on God, what should we talk about next? And we got to the unseries and it came up on Unafraid. It was sort of like all the eyes in the room kind of looked at me like, we think that's what you need to talk about.、Um, because the crew that we work and minister with know that God has used this story so powerfully in my life.、Um, and, and I hope in some way, I was just praying back there, going, God, I can't make this be for you. For these guys, what it has been for me, but you can. So, so get inside this story somehow and bring it to life for everybody the way that you brought it to life for me and plant it so deep in their heart the way that you plant it in mine because it truly was a life transforming story. And God's Word is the only book in the whole world that has the power to alter life in a moment just by reading it. Like right now, we can be sitting here thinking of things, and in 15 minutes, when we are 25 minutes, when we start walking out that door. You may be in a completely different state of mind. I'm, I'm, I'm praying hard you will be. And it's because of this amazing book that God's Spirit climbs inside of. So I just want you to turn your expectation meter up really high. Like, well, maybe I'm going to get something out of this. Maybe God's going to really have, have a word for my heart today. And I hope that you do. And God really began to minister it to me in a whole fresh new way last night. When Shan and I were in the kitchen, because I remembered that song of Psalms 23, and we were practicing it in the kitchen, and the last phrase of it is, For you're here, I know you're here with me. You're here, I know you're here with me. And all through the night as I slept, and when I woke up this morning, it was that I'm here with you, I'm here with you. Tell them, tell them not to be afraid, because I'm here with them. I'm here, I'm here, I am here. I am. Here. And it's not a real big deal if I'm here or if Shannon's here or if any of the other staff are here, but it's a real big deal when God says, I am here. Because when I come, I just make everything right. My perfect love starts casting out fear. My light shines on the darkness. Crooked paths start getting straight. Confusion starts finding truth because God's here. I am here. And that's what we want to talk about today is what it's like to be unafraid. My favorite quote from、um, Gladys Allward there is when the prison guard says, Admit you're afraid. And she said, Yes, I am afraid. Now open the door. I connect to that. I so get what it feels like to be shaking, but to still say, I will in obedience walk through that door and trust that God is with me. So, I, that's as fast as an introduction as I can do. And I'm going to tell you this story、um, pretty quickly today because we got a little late start. So forgive me as I go fast, but just kind of hang on tight. And、um, I'm going to be reading right out of 1 Samuel 17. And、um, can you bring the lights up a little bit, Dave? So I stop squinting because I start doing this. Because I have to see eyeballs or it's hard. There you are. Okay.、Um, hard for me to connect. So I'm going to jump right into 1 Samuel 17. Now, boys and girls. What story I'm telling today is a story of a little boy named David. And、um, as Miss Sue said, he was young. He was a young boy, 11, 12, maybe at the most 14 years old. He was not even graduated from high school yet. He was a young kid. And、um, this chapter in his life is an incredible chapter. It's life altering. Now, let me tell you a little bit about David. He's the youngest in the family. Anybody else here the youngest in the family? I am too. 
And I know what that's about. The youngest in the family gets stuck with all the chores that nobody else wants to do. And David is just the same. He is stuck with tending his father's sheep. How many of you have ever gotten to see a true, real, live shepherd? Anybody? A few of you have. Is it an exciting job? Are sheep exciting animals? No. They're white, fuzzy things. They're very fat near the ground, and they eat grass all day. And that's it. When Shane and I went over to Israel many years ago, I got to see young shepherd boys up on the hilltop, and they were just sitting down on rocks watching sheep. And that was their job. And as I've thought about this story, it's no wonder to me that David took up the harp. He had a lot of time on his hands to sit there and watch his father's sheep. If you read the Psalms, tons of them are laced with this idea of shepherd and sheep. And those were very early impressions of his mind as he sat out there and watched his father's sheep. Now, this day is unlike no other day in his life. He's just been watching his father's sheep. But in the chapter before, 1 Samuel chapter 17, in chapter 16, he gets a little excitement in his life. He is given the opportunity to come and play his harp for King Saul. And this is a big debut moment. You know, he's, he's only 12 or 13 years old, but word has gotten out that he's pretty good on the harp and that he, got to be, he has a beautiful voice and that he can sing soothing songs. And King Saul's having problems because God isn't with King Saul anymore. God's spirit has left, and King Saul is left alone. And sometimes evil spirits would come and torment King Saul. And every time he'd get those spirits, he wanted little David to come in and play his harp and sing to him so that the spirits would go away. So this was David's, David's job. He would tend sheep, and he would play the harp for the king. And that's what his life had been until chapter 17. Chapter 17 starts with a battle scene. And it starts with the Philistines gathering their forces for war. And the Philistines, well, in this, in this story, they're the bad guys. They're the army that's against God. And it says that they gathered up their forces for war, and they assembled, and they pitched their camp. It'll go on later to say that they pitched their camp on one hill. They were on a hill, and then there was a valley in between. And then, for the sake of the story, on my left are the Israelites. Because when the Philistines were camp camping out there going, saying, we're going to go to war with you Israelites. Well, then the Israelites decided they better get their camp together. So they pitched their tents and made their camp on another hill. So we've got two hills, Philistines and Israelites and a valley in between. Now, in those days, war was very different than war is now. In fact, you had to be really, really brave because you had to go face-to-face -face with people. They didn't have little missiles that were smart and could sneak into a town and just blow things up. You had to actually get a bow and arrow and a spear in your hand and march and face your enemy face apart and, then, and fight. So the Israelites are trying to get their courage up because Philistines want to fight with them. Only there's a trick. This time, instead of when the morning came, the whole army coming and lining up, the Philistines just sent one man. One man walks into the valley. And this one man was no ordinary man. He was almost nine feet tall, or over nine feet tall. And his name was, do you know his name? Goliath. And he had huge amounts of armor and heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. And he would stand down there in the valley and he'd holler up at the Israelites who were up on their little hill. And he would say this to them. Why do you come out and line up for battle? 
Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, then we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, then you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me one man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And in all the Israelite camp, even though they were all like good soldiers, they were all dressed up in all their army stuff. They had their little helmets on, their little shields and their breastplates and their swords and their bows and arrows and their sandals tied up tight like they were ready to go to war. When the moment came for them to step across the line and go into war, they were terrified and they took, took a step back and they took another step back and they sank deeper going, I hope they don't choose me. I hope they don't choose me. Please, 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 please don't choose me. Please don't choose me. And, and this had been going on for a while. Does anybody know how long this had been going on? The Bible says that this little morning ritual of Goliath shouting up at the Israelites and the Israelites getting afraid had been going on for 40 days. Over a month. They'd been waiting to fight. Goliath has been shouting out and all of Israel is terrified. Now, there is an ordinary day where um, David's been back at the farm tending the sheep for over 40 days. Because all of his brothers are big, brave soldiers out fighting that big war. And this is before CNN and ESPN and all of that. So nobody knew what was actually going on in the war. And so Jesse, David's father, was curious. He was worried. Can you imagine what it would be like to send all your sons off to war? And not to hear for over a month. What's going on? I wonder what's going on. And so he goes to David and he says, David, would you do your father a favor? Tomorrow morning, instead of tending the sheep, would you gather up some sandwiches and yummy food and take it over to your brothers? Give them word that I love them and give them some good food. And could you just tell me what's going on? Well, I'm sure David was like, are you kidding me? Yes, yes, I will do this for you. Father, I would love to serve you in this way. Whatever it is, Lord, I, I would, or Father, I would love to, to serve you. And so he got up very early in the morning. I wondered if he could sleep all night. He was so excited. He finally gets to go to the battle and see his brothers, and maybe he's going to see a little action, and won't that be the coolest in the whole world? And so he's loading up his donkey or whatever he loaded up, and he was heading off to find out, go to the place where he knew they were fighting. Well, just so happens that he hits the battlefield at just the point. He happens to arrive just at the moment when the Israelites are lining up for battle. And I don't know how they lined up for battle, but I imagine that they kind of bang drums and boom, 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 boom. But it's kind of exciting, and I'm sure his heart was kind of pounding like, oh, this is going to be so awesome, I'm going to get to see something. And, and maybe they blew horns, and maybe they even shouted like Braveheart, you know, I don't know what they did, but they did something, and they lined up, and David got to see it. And so I can just see him kind of like hurrying, getting kind of behind his donkey like, wow, this is so awesome. And Goliath gets up, and he says his morning ritual. And after you've said it for 40 days, he probably wasn't even that terrifying anymore when he said he's kind of, choose a man and have him come down to me. And if he is able to kill me, ha, 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 then we'll become your subjects. But if I kill, overcome him and kill him, then um, you will all become our subjects and, sir and serve us. 
This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Well, after little David hears Goliath make this horrible, horrible um, challenge, he looks over at the Israelite army. You know he did. And you know he's looking right at Eliab, his oldest brother, going, you're so tough. You're so cool. You always beat me in arm wrestling. I know you're going to go. And instead of watching Eliab step forward, what did he watch Eliab do? Step back. You know his jaw hit the ground. Are you kidding me? And David starts getting upset. He starts getting a little bit angry. So he gathers his supplies. He rushes over quickly to the battle line, and he begins to talk with the other Israelites standing there. And this is what his opening line is. What will be done for the man who kills this guy, this disgrace, and removes this disgrace from Israel? That's his opening line, little 12-year-old kid, setting an example for the believers. What will be done for the man who kills this giant and removes this disgrace from Israel? Well, they started telling him, well, this is what's going to be done. You're going to get to marry the king's daughter, and you're going to have this, and you're going to have that. You're going to have all these great privileges. And I really, truly, honestly believe that David wasn't so interested in all the trappings as much as he was interested in killing the giant. Well, word begins to travel throughout the line that David is kind of acting edgy, like he wants to go down and fight Goliath. And who is the first person that he encounters? It's his brother. It's his older brother. And I want to tell you a second, before I tell you how Eliab responded to him, unless you're already reading it or you're not. Okay, um... I want to tell you the difference between David and Eliab, and I want you to remember this because I think this is the key message of unafraid through the whole rest of this story. When Goliath shouted his challenge at the battle, at the um, lineup of the Israelites, the Israelites looked at Goliath, and they looked at the smallness of themselves, and they were terrified, and they shrunk back into the ranks. But I think David looked somewhere else. I think when Goliath shouted out his challenge at the Israelites, he didn't look at Goliath. I think his eyes went from Goliath right to God. And I think he said, are you going to let him talk to you like that? I think I'd like to take care of that for you. I don't think David looked down at his scrawny little arms. I don't think he looked down at his shepherd self. I don't think he looked anywhere but straight up and went, wow, this is a, this is a challenge to you, God, because we're the armies of the living God, and, and he's challenging you. I think his eyes went up, and he stayed right there. And as soon as he started showing aggression, not stepping back, but stepping forward, the first arm on his shoulder, the first one to want to pull him back was his big brother, Eliab. He's angry at him. But you can understand why he was, because he was embarrassed, wasn't he? He had to be. My little brother is completely showing me up. And in, uh, let's see, in verse 27 or 28, it says, When Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him. Why have you come down here, and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Cut to the heart accusation of his motives. You never know sometimes when you step out in faith that your enemy will first come through your family. Isn't that heartbreaking? And it shouldn't be, but isn't it often the truth? 
you can't really believe that. You're not really here for any true and noble reason. You're here just to watch the battle because you have a conceited and wicked heart. Who had the conceited and wicked heart? It was Eliab. But David didn't back down. He was enraged. He was filled with the Spirit of God. And he keeps talking about it. Um, he continues to talk. And finally, his talk gets all the way up to King Saul. And I have many times pictured King Saul sitting on his throne with like a bag over his head. He had to be so humiliated. And I don't know if kings in those days boasted about their armies like basketball coaches do now. You know, but I've got a great team this year. Boy, they're really going to do all this great stuff. And you don't want to mess with us. And we'll see you on the field. And I have no idea if, if kings would boast. But I would imagine that King Saul was humiliated for over 40 days sitting there with not one soldier brave enough to risk his life for the nation of Israel. And so when he gets wind that somebody is talking about going, he says, bring this man to me. And so they go and they get the little shepherd boy harpist. And they bring him before King Saul. And I wish, I wish, I, this is one of those moments I wish I could have been there to see. When little David, you know, kind of, and I can picture him, you know, they probably didn't have baseball caps in those days, but like it's on backwards or all like sitting there and he's just kind of there for the day and he just walks up to the king. And in uh, verse 32, he says, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And I can see Saul kind of tossing his hair. Ah, oh, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy and he's been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, Oh, King Saul, your servant? I've been keeping my father's sheep. Like, that's a real impressive um, thing to say. But he said, I've been keeping my father's sheep. And one day a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, and I went after it. I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And then it turned on me, and I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. I mean, it reads like a 12-year-old, doesn't it? The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And then a shocking thing's happen. In, in the, next, uh, the next phrase is this. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And the first time that I read this for myself, I was 19 years old. I'd heard the story my whole life. But the first time I dug it out of the scriptures myself, I could not get over Saul's change of heart. I was like, what in the world? What did David just say? Go and the Lord be with you? What changed Saul's mind that in one paragraph, he went from, no, you can't because I'm not going to risk my life into your hands, to, oh, okay, you changed my mind. Go and the Lord be with you. So I read that paragraph about the bear and the lion over and over and over and over. I said, Lord, I'm going to read it till you show it to me. What did he say? And then the Lord spoke to my heart, and he said this, Sherry, what looked like merely tending sheep was actually giant killing preparation, and David didn't know it. David didn't know all those long, faithful days of sitting out there in the hot sun, protecting his father's sheep out of obedience and submission, and doing a good and loyal and faithful job was the very work that God would use to prepare him for the day he would meet Goliath. Nobody came to Goliath or to David a month ahead and said, Hey, you getting ready for that big battle with Goliath coming up? 
You better start practicing your slingshot. You better make sure you can hit the target. You better start working out. There was no Rocky music. There was no da 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 And that he's working out and he's running laps and he's trying to get bigger biceps and he's coming up for the meeting with Goliath. This is what hit me. This was an ordinary day. David had no idea when he woke up that morning that he would face Goliath by afternoon. And can I ask you as Christians, have you had a hundred days like that? Where you woke up in the morning and you had no idea that you were going to hit Goliath by this afternoon. And I said, God, I faced giants. At that time, I was doing full-time school assemblies and traveling across the country at a very young age, scared out of my head most of the time. And I said, God, I face giants every day. What is my tending sheep? What is it that you want me to do so that I know how to meet Goliath? And the Lord spoke to my heart in a very simple way. He said, Sherry, every morning when your alarm gets off, turn on your light and open up this book. And you read it. And you study and you get to know me. You spend time with me. You pray to me. You listen to me. And I'll teach you how to kill giants. And there are days that reading this is like watching white fuzzy things eat grass. (laughs) And it's about faithfulness and it's about obedience and it's about diligence. Other days, it's like a lion or a bear came. And I'm so excited, I can't hardly stand it. I got to tell everybody about what, I, what happened today in my quiet time, when my time with the Lord, this incredible victory happened in my life. I was able to defeat something huge, but a lot of the days, it's just a good talk. It's just a good talk with me and Jesus. But over the years, he's been teaching me how to kill giants. Back to the story. King Saul says, go and the Lord be with you. And David is getting all excited, but then King Saul says, oh, but one more thing. I want you to wear some, some armor. So he gets out a soldier outfit, and he brings it over to little David, and he says, here, you better put this on. If you're going to go kill a giant, you better do it, you know, like with all this stuff on. So David puts it on, and again, I wish I could have seen the scene of him putting on the stuff he's never worn before, a breastplate and a helmet and a shield and bows and arrows and a spear. And it says he tried to walk around in them to try and get used to them. And finally, he looks up at King Saul, and he says, I, I, can't, I can't wear this stuff. I can't kill giants the way you kill giants. I'm a shepherd, not a soldier. And he takes off all the trappings that somebody else put on him. And he grabs his little sling because that's what God had put in his hands. And that's when the Lord spoke to me and said, Sherry, you may be young, a young girl who's 19, and you don't fit all the little categories, but let me tell you what, I put a little slingshot in your hand. So be what I've given you to be and don't try and be something. Don't try and pray the prayers your pastor prays. Pray the prayers I've put in your heart. Don't try and wield this book the way that your preacher does. but, But do it the way I've put it in your heart. Be brave with your neighbors the way you know how to love. Be who I've given you to be and be faithful and courageous inside of that. And so David does. He takes off everything. He goes and he gets his little slingshot and his five stones. And then the drama begins. And I don't know how this happened because the battle line had already happened. But David just kind of ho-dee-do goes right up to the edge of the valley and begins to walk down. Did anybody walk with him? The Bible doesn't say if anybody went with him. But he walked down into that valley by himself. And I, all these years I've wondered if that's when he wrote Psalms 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
And as he's walking down into the valley, Goliath stands up and he, he sees that somebody is coming, but it was at a distance and he couldn't make out at first who it was that was coming into the valley. But I could picture that his shield bearer was kind of, you know, going, hey, hey, Goliath, Goliath, believe it or not, but the Israelites are finally sending somebody down. It's been over 40 days, but they're doing it. They're really, and Goliath's like, oh, finally, let's get this over with. So he's standing up and he's stretching and he's gathering up his stuff and he squints up onto the hillside to see somebody descending and he can't believe his eyes, but he thinks that maybe he's making it out, that it's not a man at all coming down into the valley. It's not a man. He's waited over a month for Israel to send their best offering and they sent a boy. And he is so angry. I mean, it's hard to face a giant anyway, but a giant angry, that's a problem. And so David comes up and it says this, Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bear in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. And I'm going to offer your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. But David said to the Philistine, oh yeah? Okay, he didn't say oh yeah, but in my head he said, oh yeah? You come against me with that sword and that spear and that javelin. But I'm coming against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. He isn't intimidated in the least. He's like, poor you, all you've got is that sword. And then David goes on, this part I just love. In verse 46, he says, this day, like right now, God's going to hand you over to me. I'm going to strike you down and I'm going to cut off your head. And in awe of so much when I was reading, when I was reading it, when I was 19 years old, I was like, I was like, oh, David, 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 you left your sword with Saul. You don't even have a sword. So he's standing there with a slingshot, boasting to a giant that I'm going to cut your head off here in just a few minutes. <laughs> Today, I will give, listen to what David says. You know what? You were going to offer me to the birds of the air. You know what? I'm going to offer the carcasses of the whole Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, and the whole world is going to know that there's a God in Israel. Why? Because if a little scrawny shepherd-tending harpist kills a giant, then everybody knows there's a God in Israel. That's why God loves weak, small, unsuspecting, foolish things. That's why he chooses us. Because he gets all the glory and he's crazy about getting all the glory. He didn't want Eliab. People might have thought Eliab was just a brave fighter. He wanted the sheep tending harpist, the little kid, so that every eye would be lifted up. The Philistine, it says, moved closer to attack him in verse 48, and David ran quickly to the battle line. And I just can picture in my mind Goliath being all dramatic, and maybe the Philistines are beginning to look down and see what's going on, and the drums are starting to pound, and Goliath's all drama. He's coming to the battle line, and David's like, ah, cut the dramatics, and like he runs up there, and, and he starts his little thing. And we used to know a song when I was a little girl, and round and round and round and round and round and round and round, and one little stone went into the sling, and the giant came tumbling down. And it was just like that. It was just, 
because it was God. He put a stone in, and he, I, I kind of think he could have like closed his eyes and just gone, whoop, and it would have just gone bulk because it was so not about David. It wasn't about David's aim. It wasn't about David's ability. It was about David's obedience. That's all it was about. And God picked up that stone. He carried it at just the right speed. He went right between Goliath's eyes, and he sunk it in deep enough that Goliath fell down. And you know the whole Philistine army was looking up there. Philistine army, I think they're over here, right? The Philistine army, they were looking down and they thought, he tripped. <laughs> He'll be up in just a minute. This is all part of the strategy. And the drums kept beating and they're all, yeah, guys, our champion. And David's like, I don't know. I told him I was going to cut his head off. So, hmm. And he sees Goliath's sword. He's like, that'll work. So he goes over, he pulls out Goliath's sword, which was probably as tall as him. And with all of his might, he pulls it back and he chops off his head. PG-13 today, church guys. So he chops off his head and at that point, he picks it up. He picks up Goliath's head. Can you picture this little 14, 12, 13, 14 kid holding a giant's head? It's probably as big as him. And he's kind of holding up like, it's all done now. And the Philistine army, <laughs> like at that point I see them all like dropping their glasses and their mouths gaping open and the drums completely stop playing. And th this is what it says that, that they did. Um, David ran over and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Okay, any 12-year-old boys, go there in your brain. You're, you just killed a giant. You're holding his head, and you look up, and the whole army's running away from you. This is a high moment in your life. <laughs> It'll never get much better than that. And I can just picture, <laughs> like, holding it and kind of looking, turning back to the Israelites, going, all right, I think it's safe now. <laughs> I think you can come. Coast is clear. And it said in the first word of verse 52 is what cracked me up in the NIV. The first word is, then the men of Israel surged forward with a shout. <laughs> they waited till the head was completely disconnected and the enemy was running. And then they're like, all right, guys, let's go on in. And they began to go chase the Philistine army. And guess what the birds had for supper that night? The carcasses of the entire Philistine army. Because a little boy had faith in a big God. And when the giant shouted, he didn't look at his tiny little flesh. And he didn't look at the enormity of the giant. Instead, he lifted his eyes to the one who said, Do not fear, I am with you. Do not fear, I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. It's not you walking into the valley. I just All I need you to do is pick up the stone and throw it. That's all I need you to do. I've got it from there. I just need you to step in faith and obey me and be unafraid. There are four kinds of people in the story. There are Philistines, there are Goliaths, there are Davids, and there are Israelites. And uh, for the sake of time, I won't get into the Philistines and the Goliaths, but let me just say this. Israelites are people who very often like to put on their, their, their Sunday outfit and come to church. And in our country, maybe that's sort of a pretend to be a soldier kind of thing. But when the giants have come, instead of stepping forward, we've stepped back. And God is crying out for a generation, a group of people for Highland Christian Church to be David's, 
to know that we are simple and we are foolish and we are small and we are unworthy and we are not soldiers. We get all the long list of what we're not. We know it well. But we're just willing to take a step of faith and be unafraid because God is with us. Jesus means to make us brave. Not because we're great, but because he's great and he promises to go with us.